church tonight a little bit about Judas. So many times we talk about the suffering of Christ, and we've gone over that a lot on Good Friday. But um, I really want to focus on Judas tonight, and just for a few moments kind of draw out some, maybe some truths and some principles that we can apply to our own lives. Uh, If you turn over to Acts chapter 1, I just want to start by reading these verses for us, and then I want to read a little bit of a, it's just kind of a, the story of Judas put in story form by somebody, and I want to read that for us tonight, and then we'll draw out some principles. Acts chapter 1, verse 15 to 26. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in, a, in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. In falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known in all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forth two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these men you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Ken read that verse. It's also found in Mark chapter 14. Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So I want to talk to you just briefly tonight about Judas, the man who kissed the door of heaven but went to hell. Warren Wearsby said this, If you are not born again, the day will come when you wish you had never been born at all. That's very true. Um, To tell the story of Judas, perhaps the best place to begin is at the end of the story. It's now early Friday morning in Jerusalem, sometime between midnight and dawn, and the Jews are finished with Jesus. They have had their kangaroo court and their trumped-up charges and their false witnesses. 
Annas has had a round with Jesus, and so has Caiaphas. Their verdict is clear. This man is a blasphemer who deserves to die. The assembly of religious leaders set out to take Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor. He was the only one who can order Jesus to be put to death. There's movement, noise, and clatter as the group moves down the rocky hillside toward the praetorium inside the ancient walled city. In the shadows, one man, now forgotten, watches, his face strained, his eyes puffy, his head slightly bowed. It has been a long night, the longest of his life. How many hours have passed since the meal in the upper room? Six, maybe seven? Who knows? After he left, he went straight to the chief priests to make the final arrangements. Then there was a short walk in the darkness across the Kindron Valley and up the wood, wooded slope of the Mount of Olives. The whole thing had not lasted five minutes. It's all a blur, a few words, a kiss, some angry comments by Peter and the others. Then Jesus was arrested and taken away. In his hands, Judas held the little bag that contained 30 pieces of silver. He hadn't even bothered to count it. No one noticed him now. It was like he was yesterday's news. No one had any use for a traitor. Through the long night, he had waited, hanging around the edges of the crowd, listening for some word of how things were going. What exactly did he expect? No one knows for sure. But if at midnight he wanted to see Jesus die, by sunrise, he had changed his mind. Memories flooded his mind. Things Jesus had said, little jokes the apostles told, stories Jesus had told over and over again, little pictures painted themselves in the darkness. The smile on the face of Jairus' daughter when Jesus raised her from the dead. The look on Peter's face when he walked on the water and had actually held him up. The picture of those 12 baskets of food left over after Jesus had fed more than 5,000. He could see it all. He could hear it all. And the memories were almost too much to bear. Well, then the rumor spread that Jesus had been condemned to die. He shouldn't have been surprised, but he was. For a moment, there was a commotion in the courtyard. And Judas saw Jesus as he was being led away to Pilate. He didn't see him clearly, just a glimpse of his face from a distance. But he knew it was him. Overwhelmed. That's the only word to use. Judas was overwhelmed with the thought that Jesus was going to die. In that moment, it came to him in a blinding flash. He had made a great mistake. The greatest mistake of his life. So great a mistake that he must now somehow find a way to make things right. 
with that thought filling his mind, he took the bag of money, the 30 pieces of silver, and he tried to give it back. But the chief priest just laughed at him. They had no more use for him nor his money. They had what they wanted. In desperation, Judas cried out. Matthew 27, 4 says, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Every word was true. He had done it. What he had done was the worst sin imaginable. He had betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was innocent, he was about to pay with his blood for Judas's crime. With that, he threw the money into the temple and the, cl- the coins clinking and ringing as they hit the stone pavement. As Judas turned to go, the 30 pieces of silver stayed behind. Judas not only lost his Lord, he also lost his money. Very shortly, he would lose his life. Well, about his suicide, very little needs to be said. The Bible tells us that he went away and hung himself. It's the final act of a man who could not live with himself and the memory of what he had done. If you think about it, there's an ultimate irony of this tragic day. Judas actually died before Jesus did. Well, what could we learn from Judas? Four things, I think. First of all, the commitment he made. You know, it's easy to dismiss Judas as either a villain or a victim. (laughs) But I'm struck by the fact that in many ways, he was just like me. He was just like you. Judas was a follower of Jesus. He was a preacher of the gospel. But there was some double-mindedness about him. In the end, he abandoned the faith he once professed. The first thing that we can see here is the commitment that he made. Judas made a commitment to Jesus, and there's no reason to think that he was anything other than sincere in his faith. Like the rest of the disciples, he left everything to follow the Lord. Judas was actively involved in ministry. He was given remarkable uh, talents. Luke tells us that Jesus called the 12 together. That included Judas and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Judas Iscariot was a gospel preacher. We find some remarkable facts about Judas. He was personally chosen to be an apostle by Jesus Christ himself. He forsook all to follow the Lord. He spent three and a half years traveling the length and breadth of Israel with Christ. He saw all of the miracles of Christ in person. He heard Christ give all of his famous discourses. He watched as Christ healed the sick, raised the dead, and cast out demons. He, along with the other apostles, was sent out to preach the gospel. He was one of the leaders of the apostolic band. 
No one ever suspected him of treason. In terms of experience, whatever you say about James, Peter, and John, you can also say about Judas. Everywhere they went, he also went. He was right there, always by the side of Jesus. He heard it all, saw it all, experienced it all. Well, however you explain his defection, you cannot say that he was less experienced than the other apostles. If anything, he was one of the leaders. After all, the other apostles chose him to handle the money. You don't pick a man whose loyalty you suspect to handle your money. You pick your best man, your most trustworthy man, the man you know that you can count on. That's why they picked Judas. The most interesting part of this story is that the other apostles apparently saw only the positive side of Judas. It wasn't until they looked back after the fact that they could see the negatives. Before his betrayal of Jesus, he looked as good as any of the rest of the apostles. And in fact, he probably looked better than most. In that light, let us note, it was for the record, just for the record one more time, no one suspected Judas. Remember this, no one. He was given the entrustment of being the treasurer of the band of apostles. He was actively involved in ministry. Being involved in ministry is a wonderful thing, let me tell you. It's a good thing, it's a wonderful thing. But it is not in itself a guarantee of spiritual life or health. Well, the second thing we see, not only just his commitment, but the opportunity he was given. Judas Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Can you imagine spending three years of your life with Christ? He saw the greatest life that ever lived here on earth up close and personal. When you stop and think of it, you can't have a better model than Christ or a better environment for forming faith than Judas had in walking with the Savior. He directly witnessed the miracles, as I said. When Jesus fed the 5,000, Judas was there. He took the bread and he distributed it along with the other disciples. When Jesus calmed the storm, Judas was there. He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You can't have better evidence for faith than Judas had. Judas heard all the teaching. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. He heard the warnings that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. So he knew that there was a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. He heard the parable of the prodigal son, so he knew God is ready to welcome and forgive all those who have wasted themselves in many sins. With Judas' own eyes, he saw the clearest evidence. With his own ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his own feet, he followed the greatest example there ever was. And yet this man still betrayed Christ. Christ. 
The human heart, Jeremiah tells us, is beyond understanding. And there's some, something that's just incomprehensible about a person who abandons the faith they have once professed. It's hard to understand how a young person raised by godly parents in the context of a healthy church taught the truths of Scripture from an early age and grounded in apologetics can give up Jesus. But it happens. Judas's story contains an important lesson for parents, for leaders, for friends who grieve over someone they love who has abandoned the faith. Because you worry. Where did we go wrong? What more could we have done? Did we fail in our teaching? Did we fail in our example? Should we have immersed our son or our daughter or our friend in a different environment? But you know what? The lesson of Judas teaches us that even the best example, the most compelling evidence, and the finest teaching, the ultimate environment for growing faith cannot in and of itself change the human heart. The third thing we see here is the choice he made. The choice he made. Satan made a relentless assault on Judas's soul. As he makes on everyone who chooses to follow Christ. We read about Satan's attack on Judas in Luke 22. It says, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. John 13 tells us the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. John 13, 27 says Satan entered into him. The Bible's clear statements about Satan's activity have led some to say, well, poor Judas. He didn't have a chance. Satan entered into him. What could he do about that? But that overlooks the fact that Judas himself opened up the door to Satan. Judas had been stealing from the collective money bag. When he kept his sin secret, Satan entered into him. He made a deal with the chief priests, then sat down at the Lord's table with known sins in his life he would not confess. And Satan entered even further into his life. Because unconfessed sin, beloved, is always an open door to Satan's power. Satan doesn't gain a foothold in the lives of people who are walking in the light with Jesus. He only gains access when we open the door. And I think that we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we get this turned around fearing that Satan will somehow have a secret access to God's children while doubting that Jesus can do anything for a person unless they open the door. But the Bible teaches precisely the opposite. The last thing here I see with Judas is the outcome he embraced. Judas went out into the darkness that he had chosen. And when you get close to Jesus, one of two things will happen. Either you will become wholly his, or you will end up more alienated from him. Among those who hate Christ the most, some 
once professed to trust him. His claims are so exclusive and his demands are so pervasive that in the end, you must either give yourself to him completely or give him up altogether. There's no middle ground. The story of Judas, Judas reminds us that nothing good can come from giving up on Jesus Christ. Only those who have never known him can remain indifferent to him. For those who get close, the only outcomes are full devotion or eventual antagonism. And every day, each of us is heading in one direction or the other. We live in a day and an age when many are abandoning the faith they once professed. So the story of Judas warns us to guard our hearts lest we drift away. The story of Judas also equips us to reach out to those who may be close to walking away from the faith. Christ calls us to be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's in Jude 22 and 23. Christ is of supreme value, beloved. And following him is always worth the cost. And you ask, well, how does this apply to us? Well, either you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior or you haven't. And if you have, we believe that you are secure in your faith. See, it's not the, it's not the fact that Judas once believed in Jesus that he was once saved and then he was lost. We're not saying that because he wasn't. He was lost. You can't lose your salvation. But we also have to agree that there are many, even within the church, who profess Christ. They say all the right things. They look nice. They, boy, they have all the religious stuff about them. But they don't possess Christ. Christ has never changed their heart, just like he never changed Judas's heart. And I pray that as we come to our communion time, that we would be reminded that it's not by religious activity. It's not by being here today. You don't get brownie points for this. That we are called to serve Christ with everything we have with our whole being. Anything less is not worthy of him. Father, we thank you for the lessons from Judas. Lord, we thank you for even Jesus' interaction with Judas. Continually patient, continually loving, continually gracious, even though he knew in his heart that this was the one who would betray him. And yet, Father, we thank you for your sovereignty that all this falls under, that, Lord, somehow even the betrayal of Judas was used for your glory to fulfill your word, to fulfill your prophecy, to fulfill your scripture. 
And so, Lord, we pray that as your people, that our commitment to you will be wholehearted. That we will not waver in our commitment to Christ our Savior. And we thank you for his sacrifice. And we pray now that as you prepare our hearts for this communion time. This is the time for believers. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome to this table. To partake of the bread and the juice. These are just symbols of the suffering that Christ went through. The the bread represents his body. The juice represents his blood. And we do this in remembrance of his sacrifice for us. So we thank you for our time tonight. And we pray that you would bless our communion time as well. In Jesus' name, amen.